Today's reading is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 16. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Let us pray. Father God, we come to your word. We come to teaching about you. And as Paul demonstrates in this passage, that's a good time for, to begin prayer. For this reason, it's a good moment to pray for you because we are dependent upon you, dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit to open up this text for us and to bless us and to help us focus upon Christ more clearly, our saving God. Help us do so, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Two weeks ago, I made mention of the fact that if Bruce and I wanted, we easily could have preached 40 sermons on just those key words that were found between uh, verses 3 and 14 that in the Greek are one big lump sum text. They are one run-on sentence. And we leave one run-on sentence for now this new run-on sentence that is between verses 15 to 23. And while we are now moving on, the Apostle Paul, right at the beginning of verse 15, wants to make clear he doesn't want you to forget verses 3 to 14. He doesn't want you to forget what he just said. That's why Paul starts out our passage with, for this reason. We're supposed to say, for what reason, Paul? And then we remember, Paul just told us a lot about the nature of God. He just gave us a lot of detailed, comprehensive, overwhelming details about our God. What the Apostle Paul did in verses 3 to 14 is a little bit like unloading dump truck after dump truck after dump truck of gold and gems and rubies. And he just keeps dropping it in front of us. It's a steady stream of these amazing things God has poured out upon us in His triune glory. He has let us know how we have been blessed by the Father, by His giving of Christ. He has let us know that we have a Christ who has died for us. That we have a, a Holy Spirit who, who protects us. And we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places and how God chose us first. It's not that we chose God, it's that He first chose us, that He predestined us, that He adopted us, that for the glory of His grace. Which means that, Paul says, we have forgiveness of all trespasses and sins and we've been lavished with wisdom and He's made known to us all these precious mysteries that we might praise His glory and we'll never be lost because the Holy Spirit has a hold of us. What Paul did in the end in that those verses between Ephesians three and uh, chapter one, verses three through fourteen, is a little bit like what you find in those commercials for medicine. You know, it always starts with like the couple; they're on some remote island. Uh, the wife is like spinning around on the beach, and they're smiling and they're dancing, and uh, they're just having this glorious time. And then, of course, about like with three seconds or five seconds uh, before the commercial ends, they get one of those speed readers out, right? 
And they started announcing all the, all the side effects in rapid fashion. It's just like one after the other. And then by the end of it, I don't care if I see a couple dancing in Fiji. I don't want this medicine anymore. It sounds terrible. But it's a little bit like what Paul did from verses 3 to 14, except the side effects aren't so grim. You know, they're not the side effects of our, of our uh, medicine commercials. There's, there's no deep, grim quality to it. It's actually incredible truth after incredible truth. And as we're going to discover today, these lists of theological truths lead to glorious side effects. Because we have a father we know who has adopted us. We have a son and a brother we know has died for us. We have a Holy Spirit who we know keeps us secure. And so that reality is going to do something. It's going to create something that's going to change us, those who are faithful. I'm not recommending this movie at all. Honestly, I can't even remember it. It's one of those officially rated PG movies of the 80s. And as I have found as a parent, just because a movie is rated PG in the 80s does not mean it's good for viewing. Uh, But you might remember that 80s movie, The Weekend at Bernie's. Um, And what that movie was basically about was these two guys animate this dead guy and make him appear alive and that he's living. They move him around at the right time. They walk him around, etc. What Paul is going to say about the Christian life is if you're truly the Christian, God is going to animate you in such a way that you are going to change. He's going to begin moving you. And the things that he's going to begin moving you in is in faith and in love. So Paul goes from this doctrine, this statement of theology, this end of the commercial, just overwhelming sentence of 3 to 14 where he just unloads this dump truck of theology. And he goes, he's going to tell us basically, Christian, go from what you know about God to now... Uh, expressing that in faith and in love. I want you to think of what Paul did in verses 3 to 14 this way. He's just served us a wonderful plate of food. So picture a plate with your favorite things on it. Your favorite things to eat. Go ahead. Don't forget your side dishes. Beverage. What's your beverage choice? All right. We have that plate. And we sat down. We're ready to have it but we've forgotten the silverware and the napkins. Uh, Paul is going to pray in these next verses. And in the prayer, he's going to begin cutting into this meal so that we can kind of digest these things. So we can start to understand this big sentence that he just uh, gave us. And it's going to help settle for us what we should do with the things that we know about God. Our two verses today help us see that. And they help us see the following. That having a genuine faith in the revealed God produces a love for fellow believers. Let me repeat that. What our verses today help show us is that having a genuine faith in the revealed God produces love for fellow believers. For the true believer... Knowing God is not just an information dump, but that knowledge produced, uh, 
produces a faith and a confidence in God that will give love for fellow believers, especially believers who think different, might think differently than you, act differently than you, and even sometimes have different priorities than you. Let's be honest for a moment. This congregation is filled with an eclectic group of people, myself included. And before you worry about admitting that fact, I've yet to find a congregation in my lifetime that isn't. You Pennsylvania Dutch types are an oddball group. But every group I've ever worshipped with is their own version of an oddball group. God loves to bring different sets of oddballs together. God brings faithful odd, the faithful oddballs we are into communities with a mixed bag of individuals. Sometimes they're true believers, sometimes they're not. And all of us have different backgrounds. All of us have different experiences. All of us have different gifts. All of us have different priorities. All of us have different sorrows, hopes, wants, these sorts of things. And God says, all right, all of you gather together, live alongside one another, and love one another. Because you have faith in who I am and what I've done. And maybe you think I'm reaching right now, but let's just think about the Apostle Paul thanking these Ephesians. What was Paul by birth? And in his youthful days, he was as intense of an Old Testament scholar, as intense of a Jew as the world has ever seen. Remember, Paul is the man who tells us in Philippians chapter 3, I am the Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to the zeal for the faith, I was a persecutor. Under the righteousness of the law, he said, I was blameless. And yet, for all of what Paul had as a Jew before he encountered Christ, the person of Christ, and was made to see Christ, who did he have no love for? In all his faithfulness, he had no love for God. And by extension, he had no love for God's community. The fact that he was persecuting God's community showed he had no true love for God. The reality is, until you really know God, you really know what he's done for you, as Paul had previously revealed in verses 3-14, to and you hold on to God's work by faith, you can't really love both God and his people. Before Paul was allowed to see God without any passion love behind it. And so, when you picture a church with just head knowledge, I want you to picture a church that is incredible in Bible trivia. Paul would have been a master of Bible trivia before his conversion. He still would have been after. But just because you know Bible trivia doesn't mean you have a love for the God revealed in the Bible. Or maybe to confirm my point, let's just think of the game of Monopoly. You know, if all of a sudden one of my children become a dominant player of Monopoly, I'm not going to all of a sudden start shaking my hands and going, ooh, they're going to be as wealthy as Warren Buffett or as, uh, you know, great and rich as, uh, well, not great, but rich as Jeff Bezos or whoever invested in GameStop this week, apparently. Um, No. There's no correlation between playing Monopoly and becoming some great financial tycoon. I could, you know, whoomp on Warren Buffett in Monopoly, and it wouldn't mean I uh, am going to grow into some great financial guru. Christians can think Christianity is just about study, but it's not just about study. We're called to application. 
We're called to apply the things we know about God and how we live. But there is another kind of church as well. There's kind of the, the church that tends towards like the Bible trivia, just head knowledge church. And, and these churches are considered more progressive. And so they strive to love anyone without ever considering how God desires to be loved. A healthy love is actually based on loving the other party in the way they want to be loved. If on Valentine's Day I made for my wife a special meal, and in the beginning the appetizer I had pate on French bread, and then I had big pieces of raw ahi and raw salmon and raw scallops wrapped in seaweed with uh, some spicy mayo on top, you're all probably agreeing with her, that sounds disgusting. But for me, I grew up by an ocean, and that is just incredible. That's an amazing meal. Like, that, if, if I'm ever on death row, you're, you don't have to ask him what I ordered. I ordered that. That was my order. Um, that's my meal. But if I give it to her, she doesn't see love that way. That's not loving her on her terms. A healthy love is based on loving the other party in the way they want to be loved. So let's go back to Paul really quick. Ah, I see what happened. My pages got flipped around. <laughs> That's why love without knowledge isn't enough either. You're not going to be able to love as Jesus wants you to love him if you don't know his preferences. If you don't know what he considers good and what he considers bad. You're going to have to know what Jesus' likes and dislikes are in order to know how to love both him and one another well. So God's not interested in just being some academic study for you. But also God's not interested in us in putting a blindfold on and just blindly loving without truly looking at the kinds of things he prefers and he loves and the kinds of things he hates. One of the uh, best testimonies I've ever read, and I'm sure quite a few of you have read it too, is by Rosaria Butterfield. And it's The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. And Rosaria Butterfield was a woman who was a practicing lesbian. She taught critical theory at Syracuse University. She actually was... uh, Uh, tenured, and she specialized in queer theory. And so she, uh, she was living this lifestyle. She was, she had achieved really the epitome of the academic world. And Rosaria Butterfield, she decided to write an article criticizing a Christian group called Promise Keepers and put it in the paper. And what happened was, is a pastor named Ken Smith, he, he wrote a response to her, basically saying how that wasn't fair, that her, that her article really did not do justice to explain the thoughts and feelings of Christianity. And he also opened up a door to her, basically opening up his house to her so that she might eat with his family and get to know more about Jesus. And she writes in the biography of the book, she really encountered three kinds of Christian, three kinds of pastor. 
The first kind of Christian when she was living uh, this lifestyle was the kind of Christian that would put, you know, be willing to carry the God hates, insert blank here. They had this kind of cold head knowledge of God, his preferences, but they, they had no expression of love in it. It just would berate people. And, and she talks about how off-putting that was. But also through this experience with this pastor reaching out to her, she had come to read the Bible. She, she realized it really wasn't fair to criticize Christians without reading the Bible. And so she also meets a liberal pastor, a progressive pastor. And that progressive pastor basically says, Oh, yeah, yeah, you can, you can embrace Jesus, and he's, he's not going to change anything about you. He loves you exactly as you are. And she had read enough that she was also angry with that person because the reality is, if you're going to have a relationship with Jesus, he has made clear his terms. And so, both of those individuals, the, the, the harsh conservative and the, the wishy-washy progressive on Jesus... The pastor, she, she talks about how they were both just frustrating to her. But then she found that first, third kind of pastor, or that third kind of Christian, the po- kind of person that the Apostle Paul is talking about in our passage today and is thankful for here. And for her, that pastor was actually, again, the one who wrote the article, uh, the, the response to the article, Ken Smith. He said that he corrected her in a way that was both truthful about God, but also loving. And he opened up both the scriptures and who Jesus was in his home to her. And he was honest with her throughout. He didn't sugarcoat the truth, but he wasn't a jerk about it either. And she says of Ken, Ken made it possible for her to radically change her life without shame. Ken welcomed her honestly, truthfully but also rich in love. And that's the kind of idea the Apostle Paul has in mind here, but that's also the kind of idea we're going to have to embrace as we continue to have a a culture that wants to divorce itself from wisdom derived really from Christianity. We're not going to be able to be a jerk about it, but we're also not going to just be able to blindly love and, and pretend that God doesn't call us to certain patterns of life. We actually have to have a blending of both a godly faith and a godly love together. And that's the kind of love brought out when we rightly blend these things. We're supposed to take what we know about God, faithfully hold on to it tightly in order to love others better. If we believers in Christ... Let me make sure I'm still on the right page. Okay. Uh, If we believers in Christ continue to have a deep-seated anger and bitterness towards other brothers and sisters in Christ, we might lack a mature faith. That seems to be what Apostle Paul is saying here. We might really fail to understand the gospel and our God all that well. The gospel declares something, some amazing things about our triune God who is a gracious Father, a sacrificial Son, and a faithful Holy Spirit. Our one God has died for us, we who were once His enemies, so that we might continue um, to be united to both Him, so that we might be reborn and united to Him, but also united to one another. We're not supposed to be a people who lash out at one another or try to undermine one another. And that's the reason we're not supposed to... um, 
And, and the reason for that is, is through coming to know more about God through faith. That we have a faith that responds with love for others that Christ died for. Remember, Jesus is able to command us to love our enemies because he first did it. Let me repeat that. He's, he's able to command us to love our enemies because he first did it. Because we were once enemies of him and yet he still loved us. So the head knowledge of God is not enough. And likewise, again, loving blindly is not enough without knowledge of Jesus. It's only when that faith and love are blended together we become the kind of Christian the Apostle Paul can declare he never ceases giving thanks for in his prayers. And yet, let's just quickly look at verse 16 a little more closely before we close. Who is Paul thanking Ephesus' love for? Who is he directing his thanks for? Is he directing his thanks to them? At first glance, maybe in the English you think he is, but he isn't. Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Is he thanking Ephesus? No, he isn't thanking Ephesus. His thanks are connected to his prayers, and of course his prayers are directed to God. Actually, in all of Paul's letters, he never once directly thanks a church for how they act or the things, the good things they are doing. He always thanks God for those things. You know, uh, we have a, 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 lo- a lot of wonderful people here at Old Goshenhoppen who are excellent at writing letters of thanks. I, I need to personally grow and mature in that area. But in one sense, what the Apostle Paul is doing here is more important. We need to also, not just giving somebody the acknowledgement, but going to God and thanking God for the people within the church. We need to send that praise to God because He inspires such love. And honestly, if you understand what verse 16 is really getting at, you'll understand why it's impossible to believe that your works save you, that you can help earn your salvation. I want you to think of a telephone. We've all used it at some point, some of us more than others. And who invented the telephone? Alexander Graham Bell. He invented the telephone. Okay, we all agree on that. Well, Let's imagine I go home and I go log on to Wikipedia and I decide to do two things. First off, I create a Kevin Park page. Kevin Park, okay? And I say, Kevin Park invented the, the telephone. And then I go to Alexander Graham Bell's page and I, and I edit it and I say, he never invented the telephone. Or what would, what would Wikipedia do to my entry? What would they do? They would delete it. The Wikipedia, if you don't know, is uh, one of those things where you can edit uh, the, the web page and uh, you can, you can kind of change history and you want. And people sometimes prank it. I didn't invent the telephone. I'm not allowed to take credit for it. And if we can live in a world that has no problem giving Alexander Graham Bell credit for inventing the telephone, why is it so hard for many Christians... To see God should receive all ultimate credit when it comes to our love for one another. Love is of God. And our ability to love has only been accomplished through His creative power in us. He has created us in His image. And so that's why it's absurd to think we can take credit for our works in love. We are not the inventors of love. Love never begins with us. Love begins 
and is received and best understood by God. The fact is that Paul in verse 16 really helps show us that you can't get love without God. And so he's the one to ultimately thank. By the way, praying like that helps your outlook on the church community. While in our prayers we often tend to focus on requests, thanking God for the love of others in prayers leads to two radical realities. The first one is it allows us to examine ourselves. Are we living within the Christian community in such a way that people would, are thankful for how we live? They see our love in a way where they go, yes, that is of God. They live within our community in a way that is motivated to love others. We should ask ourselves that hard question week in and week out. Do we try to build greater unity or do we try to create division within the church? And, and notice here how Paul says the love toward all the saints. It's not just that you have your favorite two or three people. It's that over a long period of time, your love will be dispensed throughout the community. Have you strived to love that way? Because if so, the Apostle Paul takes delight in that sort of love. And secondly, the other radical reality is this. Word travels far. When churches are faithful to love God in a godly way. Paul had left Ephesus at this time by as much as for eight years and when he writes this letter. And he writes from a prison cell in Rome that is over 1,700 miles away. And Paul still hears of this wonderful rich love present in Ephesus. So news travels fast and far. And there really are just two kinds of news that spreads and travels fast within a community. The first is bad news. The kinds of things we grumble about, we gossip about, exaggerations. The kinds of news that causes division, that do not build up love within a community. It's always a sad thing to encounter in any church. But Paul here has heard a second kind of news. Good news, rooted in love for one another. News that has no problem traveling the long journey from ancient Ephesus to Rome. Because the kind of love Paul is talking about here is the kind of love that God makes clear in the Scriptures will ultimately travel the world. Because it's a part of the work of God's great commission for us. So as we close, Christian, come to know Christ more maturely, more richly, more deeply. Don't settle on a superficial understanding of Jesus, but really challenge yourself. But likewise, Christian, the more that you begin to learn about God. You begin to behold Him, what He wants, what He loves, His grace, His gospel. Let it change you. Remember, Jesus told us in the gospel, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Jesus also commands, commanded them, love one another as I have loved you. Let us strive then to faithfully love those whom God has surrounded us with in community. Because we first witnessed the love of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father God, this is a tall order. We struggle to love. We want uh, to fight against it at times. The old man is powerful within us. And yet, Lord, uh, we know that the more we behold you, the more that we seek after you, the more that we look to you, 
by faith you bless that and empower us to love. So help us, Lord, in this present time to love more boldly. Let us now take a moment to confess those times where we have failed to love privately.